0: Welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. It's the do say do and cross the floor, clap, clap, clack and swing your partner round and round edition. Yeah. I'll probably make that a little shorter, to be honest. I'm your host, <laughs> Emma Graney, and with me today we have opinion page editor Sarah O'Donnell. Hi there. We have hi. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't even acknowledge your hello. Your it's greeting, right. That was terribly it's rude implied. of me. <laughs> Paula Simon. Good morning, Miss Emma Graney. Good morning, and Health Reporter Keith Durain. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. So, I don't know if you guys saw this uh, news out of uh, Alberta politics yesterday. Sandra Jansen has, of course, crossed the floor to the NDP. That is a Probably, I would say, the biggest thing that happened in Alberta politics this week. We also had some, um, I'm going to call it a Kenny kerfuffle, out at a delegate selection meeting in uh, Edmonton, Ellerslie. That was also quite the interesting turn of events. And I think we'll talk a little bit about childcare as well this week. There was an announcement by the NDP. Since uh, I feel like I'm in a bit of a dancing mood, it's snowing outside, I feel like I should just, you know, warm it up by dancing. Let's start with the floor crossing. We need the beats. We need the beats in the background. So what do we reckon about this? I'm not going to lie, well, I was surprised. I
1: was wondering how it unfolded because you're at the legislature and we're yes, back I here was. in the newsroom and so uh, we were seeing this unfold mm-hmm. uh, on o- Twitter online. And so so how did you get this news at this we saw that the Rachel Notley news conference was going to happen. We knew she was scheduled for something. Yeah. And uh, when did, when did you figure out what the topic was actually going to be.
0: That morning, a lot of us were at the um, AAMDC.
1: The Rural Municipalities and Counties and Districts, their annual general meeting, <laughs> yes, of course. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. <laughs> I couldn't
2: remember what it stood for, so I appreciate that. And we, for those of you tuning in, Sarah used to be the host of this show. Well, n- not only that, but I have
1: uh, covered Alberta politics since 2001, and if I can't tell you what the AAMDNC is, then I ought to be... Uh, have my provincial citizenship revoked
0: and I've only been here six months so I haven't earned those credentials yet um so we started getting word you know a couple of bugs put in our ear that there's going to be something very big happening this afternoon at around 2 or two thirty. and we thought oh, that's odd like you know a lot of the ministers are out, uh, a good few of them are out of the the province right now out of the country right now what could it be we got a, a notice at about quarter to two saying this will be at 2 30 with absolutely no context. Yes. And it was at that point that rumours really started flying. Our colleague Don Braid from the Calgary Herald, he'd heard a rumour that Sandra Jansen was going to cross the floor and he just bit the bullet, tweeted it and said, this is happening. He said he was going to stake his reputation on the A, she was crossing the floor, yeah. and B, to the New Democrats. And I thought, wow, Don Braid has a big reputation. That's a lot of stake. Yeah, it was, right. But he nailed it. He exactly nailed it. And it was funny, once we all kind of went into the media room there in the Legislative Assembly and there were two podiums set up and it was like, oh, Don Braid is right. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, then uh, Rachel Notley walked out, and then Sandra Jansen walked out. I texted Don Braid, I'm like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then at that point, it was just hell for leather, the announcement. It's funny, uh, Paula, you mentioned that you heard about it on Twitter, which is. Exactly how the leader of interim leader of the Progressive Conservative Party Rick McIver <laughs> heard that Sandra Jansen was leaving his caucus. He heard about it on Twitter. That's got to, that's got to sting a little bit. It hey? Does have to sting? They don't necessarily have the best of relationships. I don't think those two. Uh, Sandra Jansen has said that Rick McIver hasn't had her, ba- her back for months. So I'm not at all surprised that she didn't really reach out and say, "Yo, what's up, Rick? Mm-hmm. I'm out."
1: I mean, floor crossings are always controversial. And the last time we had a floor crossing in Alberta, it was a mass floor crossing. It's not like they're completely uncommon. But, you know, we, we do have this taste in our mouth, all of us, from when the Wild Rose, had a dozen MLAs, yeah, including crossed, their, leader, Dan- mass, Wild, yes. their leader, Daniel Smith, crossed the floor. And so that is our most recent experience with floor crossings. And we know how that went for both the party that accepted them and the people who left. They... When they tried to run again, they did not get elected. They were, it was, there were serious consequences for that choice. This is different, I think, in that we have one person going over, uh, Sandra Jansen from the NDP. There is a, a lot of people have said she'll never get elected again. Not so sure about that because we do have a history in Alberta, also of re-electing people who have crossed the floor. You had Rob Anderson when he crossed from the PCs to the Wild Rose and Heather Forsyth when she crossed to the Wild Rose, they got elected as re-elected as Wild Rose MLAs. Raj you had Sher- Raj Sherman, Raj Sherman yeah. going from the PCs to the Liberals. You also had Gene Swazdowski, this is going way back into ancient history now, going from the Liberals to the Progressive Conservatism, getting re-elected time and time again. So, It is not necessarily, you know, the end for her. It is entirely possible that her constituents, a majority of them, could look at this and decide they're comfortable with it three years from now, if she decides. I mean, it's, you know, it's a long time before the next provincial election. So I'm going to watch and see how this plays out. I don't think you can say, oh, it's just like, you know, back in 2014, but...
2: Was it 2014? Yeah, it's, 2014. All, it, yes, it uh, it's yes. all blurring together yes. for yes. me. But, but you know, it, it's interesting because there was a lot of pushback uh, in the political community from people, a from the same people who hate Sandra Jansen when she was a progressive conservative. The very people who drove her out of the party were, of course, outraged when, as a logical consequence of being driven out of her party, she left her party. So the hypocrisy of that was was a bit too delicious. But I think there are also people who really don't understand how a westminster parliamentary system works and they said to me well she was elected as a conservative and and I said to people yes but also in our system of government which we've inherited from great britain mlAs and MPs are not the creatures of the leader they are in fact the people who Choose the leader from amongst themselves. And if a leader loses the confidence of an MLA or an MP, they not only have a right, but in some cases, a a higher moral duty to cross the floor. Floor crossing isn't against the rules. It's embedded in the rules of what makes a parliamentary system work. And so, you know, when people said to me, no one should ever cross the floor ever, it's like, no, that's antithetical to hundreds and hundreds of years of parliamentary tradition. I mean, Winston Churchill, uh, you know, the king of parliamentarians, not didn't cross the floor just once, but twice. He was he. he I, I called him a double crosser, but I think Churchill's phrase was, "I ratted and then I re-ratted." So, <laughs> you know, he got away the, with words, didn't
3: he? He certainly the, <laughs> did.
2: You know, I, I, I described it on Twitter last night as a giant game of Red Rover, and people said to me, "But it, it's not a game." And yes, actually. It is, and and that's how it's played. Now, what the consequences will be for Sandra Jansen, who ran as a progressive, who only beat the NDP in her Calgary riding by 600 votes. I mean, people voted for Sandra Jansen, and I think that's why she survived the great Tory wipeout. People voted for her because she was a red Tory who was an outspoken advocate for LBGQT rights and abortion rights, and I think that people didn't just vote the party in her particular instance. Whether she'll be able to survive all of this and the absurdity of the fact that, you know, two weeks ago she was running for the leadership of the conservatives and now she's a New Democrat. I mean, I mean, some of the best stuff I saw on Twitter last night were people gleefully retweeting things that she'd said, snarky things she'd said about the New Democrats not so very long ago and, you know, pushing her own words back in her face. It,
3: it is going to be interesting to see what happened to her. I, I mean, we're all assuming she's going to run again, which, which isn't necessarily uh, going to be the case. She's going to endure a lot more abuse because of this decision, right? She's already shown herself to well, not shown herself, she's already claimed that she's uh, been the uh, target of a lot of intimidation as a member of the Progressive Conservatives. So going to the NDP isn't going to help that in some ways, uh, probably going to bring more on. It will be interesting to see if she potentially becomes a cabinet minister at some point. That could affect her decision whether she runs again or not and whether she's reelected. But I, I think it was interesting, like this does, I think, it's another example, and, and perhaps even helps to exacerbate this growing polarization we're seeing in Alberta politics right now, where Sandra Jansen goes from you know a, a fairly right party um, to uh, to the leftist party we have in in the province, with nothing in between. There is no progressive option that she saw in between the NDP and the Conservatives to join the Alberta Party. Apparently wasn't. Uh, a major consideration for her. The progressive conservative, she feels, uh, is no longer the party she signed up with, uh, and they've drifted to the right. So it is interesting to see, uh, who might fill that void at some point if we're, if we're setting up an, an, an election between two fairly, uh, extreme parties. Uh, now she sees the NDP as the more centrist option right now, the one that sort of has taken the mantle of the old progressive conservatives, but, uh, I, it's um, it's it's odd to see that, and Donna Kennedy Glans as well, right? She also talked about a, a the lack of a centrist option, or the or a lack of um, centrist voices being heard in the province right now. So I, that is a bit concerning to me that there isn't something sort of in in the middle of those those two factions right now in the province.
2: Especially since that's where I think most Albertans are in the middle and always have been. I thought it was fascinating when Jansen pulled out of the leadership race. I s- i had a lot of people saying to me on twitter uh, well she wasn't a real conservative anyway so and, and many i was people like i was that. like yeah mm-hmm. but see she she was a conservative she was a conservative cabinet minister i mean she was more con- she was more a conservative than jason kenny who only bought his membership five minutes ago i mean so who owns the copyright on the word conservative the progressive conservative party of peter Lougheed and don getty uh is not the party that Jason Kenney is running to lead. And people said to me, well, Puh, Lougheed, he's dead. Uh, you know, Lougheed, you know, I wasn't even alive when he was premier. And I thought, well, okay, if you want to throw out, um, you know, a good chunk of that 44-year legacy, maybe don't call yourself the Conservative Party. Go find another name. Oh, wait, not Wildrose. That one's taken. But, you know, uh, and people who I think are also... Misremembering would be a kind word, a kind way of putting it, the actual legacy of Ralph Klein, who, for all his fiscal cost-cutting, wasn't a social conservative. Uh, If anything, Klein spent, you know, a good part of his tenure keeping the social conservatives in the tent by, you know, throwing them the odd bit of meat. But he was never one of them, and I think he always uh, stayed in power by keeping them tap down to the to the best extent that he could uh, you know the tension in Alberta has long been between you know the so cred legacy which the Wild Rose embodies and that progressive center if there is no progressive Center I would highly recommend to Rachel Notley that she tack immediately in that direction
0: and you, you make a really interesting point about um, Sandra Jansen only 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 winning her seat by about 600 votes closest to the NDP. She brought that up during uh, during the press conference. She said my writing, my constituents have proven themselves to be progressives. They want me to get work done as a legislator in a progressive way. I cannot get work done right now because of the poison that's in the progressive conservative party. I can't get work done as a legislator. There's no room for me here. And and they want someone progressive. They've shown it in the way that they vote. And, so. I, th-
1: and I think, I mean, when, when we saw it, we've heard all about the Nastiness that is out there In the social media world and some of it which She said she was also getting in person but You saw that immediately online When she announced her decision the words That were used were a case Study for me to show my young Sons about how not to speak To and about women I was disgusted I know Paula's Already been thrilled that I was so angry Yesterday Uh, it was was Infuriating that those comments aren't Coming the NDP side those are coming from people Who were previously some of them who she considered to be part of her team, right? Yeah. People who should have had her back. So I'm hoping that she has a more comfortable s- spot. And I think it's easier to, I don't know if it's ever easy to deal with. No, it's never easy to deal with that kind of crap. You so know, I'm just going to stop there.
2: It's interesting. When Belinda Stronick uh, in federal politics crossed from the conservatives to the liberals, she got, and I mean, this is in the days before Twitter. She had actual elected officials referring to her as a whore right? I mean, the gendered language that is used when a woman crosses the floor is quite different than when a man crosses the floor. Uh, I mean, when Rob Anderson crossed the floor, people might have called him names, but they didn't start with the letter C or the letter B. Mm. Uh, obviously, anytime a politician switches allegiances there are going to be people who are angry There are going to be people who feel betrayed There are going to be people who think that that political uh move is rank opportunism that has nothing to do with principle and people are going to express their anger which they are quite free to do um sexualized rape and death threats on the other hand are not kosher not cool not part of how you should react to a change in political allegiance
0: now we can't really avoid this question without the elephant in the room of basically the unspoken reason that she left the Progressive <laughs> Conservative Party. Uh, she never referred to Jason Kenney by name, but she did say that extremists have come in to take over the party she knows and loves and has done for many decades. Jason Kenney had an interesting this week.
1: Yes. <laughs> interesting week this week. Yeah, and I mean, you were you were there for some of that. Oh, uh, yes, you, I was. You, you witnessed it. So it was uh, the, the PCs are having their first... Uh, delegate selection committee. Yes, of course. Delegate conventions, right?
0: Yeah. So the progressive conservatives have switched to a delegate system, a delegate system. Not it's, a not delicate, a it's not a delegate system a <laughs> It system is kind at all. of delicate as well. <laughs> 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 Which they haven't done uh, since 1985. I know we've spoken about this on the podcast before. So what it is, all 87 constituencies are electing 15 delegates to go and take their votes to the leadership convention in March. The first of those was at edmonton Ellerslie down at the Mills Millwoods Golf Course, right? hmm And uh, <laughs> sorry, it was really funny. I should stop laughing because it's very serious for many people. <laughs> I mean, w- <laughs> frankly,
1: I got to ask, I mean, these delegate selection committee meetings you would think would normally be as dull as dishwater.
0: I, okay, I, I went along because I thought it's the first one. I'm going to see what happens. And, and I also wanted to be clear on the process and get a handle on what the kind of vibe is around these meetings. That's the reason that I went along. What I was not expecting was that Jason Kenny, a leadership candidate, had booked a hospitality suite, I would say a few metres from the doorway to the room in which they were electing their delegates. Now, the PC leadership rules say you, a candidate cannot be in or near a delegate selection meeting. They don't spell out an actual distance, which I would say they probably should, given that Alberta elections do, you know, Canada elections do the same thing. So, Kenny's team said, what? We didn't know. In fact, Jason Kenny walked into the clubhouse. And at this point, there was already an argument started about the fact that he couldn't have a hospitality suite. He shouldn't be here. And he walked in. And I heard him saying hello to people and I kind of turned around and then uh, Catherine O'Neill, the party president, has walked towards me and she's like, Jason, Jason, you have to get out. You're not allowed to be here. You know that. And he went, oh, gosh, sorry, I didn't realise. I had no idea. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Uh, So off he wandered back out to his big blue truck that was in the parking lot. A couple of the guys with other leadership campaigns said, we're going to contest every single vote that comes out of this. Then in the end, Jason Kenny won every single delegate. Every single one out of that meeting is aligned with Jason Kenney. Right. Well,
2: so here's my question to you, Miss Emma. <laughs> uh, he had to put up a, a twenty thousand dollar good behavior bond. Yes. Uh, so, what are the odds that he could lose his twenty thousand dollars? And then, if he loses it,
0: what other leverage do they have to stop him from breaking the rules? That is a very good question, Paula. Uh, <laughs> I only found out about the good behavior bond on Wednesday night after this had happened, and people said, "You know, he could he could lose his good behavior bond." And I said, "What?" mean is bond they're like no basically it's 20 grand that each leadership candidate has to put up it I do I don't think that the first um let's say the first time they disregard the rules or broke the rules would be reason enough to take that good behavior bond away I would assume it would have to be you know extended amount of flouting the rules doing it over and over again but really that's up to the chief returning officer of the party who decides what action, if any, is going to take against Jason Kenny? Maybe he'll get a slap on the slap on the wrist. Now, Jason Kenny's team has said that they reached out um, on November six and November thirteen, saying, "Look, we tried to get clarification on these rules, and they never ever got back to us, and so we just." did what we were going to do, and, you know, we asked, and they just never told yeah. us. And they're us like, oh, so it's so well. vague. What does near mean? Yeah, it is vague, yeah. But, but <laughs> it's, it's not vague. I mean, come on. Well, I don't <laughs>
2: know. Any, any grown-up any any, <laughs> any, any grown would understand that you're not suppo- you're not supposed to be there. It's not a time for campaigning, just like you're not supposed to campaign outside. I mean, if I go to vote inside the church or the school and the candidate is standing outside on the sidewalk... That is against the rules, even if they're not in the classroom next to but, me. But we
1: all know that party leadership races never play by the same rules as elections. We know that. This is they there it's the wild west
3: in terms of electoral politics. Yeah, but, but if they want to be taken seriously, they have to enforce some out. standards, right? I mean
0: but you've got to I mean, I, I take your point, Pollock. You're totally right. Any any reasonable human would conclude that in or near a meeting would include
3: standing uh, 10 meters away yeah. from the door. Yeah. Um
0: but then again it's not. I mean it's I think this right, is a so. distraction but I think we have to,
1: what what does this tell us about what's actually happening in the PC leadership race and I think that is very interesting. In a riding that I would not necessarily have expected him to take the entire slate. You've told me he took 15 delegates. So there's a lot of these meetings happening in the coming weeks and there was two apparently last night and when I looked on so Spruce Grove St. Albert Fort Saskatchewan Vegerville again i would not have necessarily expected that to be majority kenny rooms uh on his twitter feed and i haven't checked confirmed this independently with the pcaa but he says of those he took 10 of 15 delegates in fort saskatchewan Vegerville and 11 of 15 in spruce grove st albert i would think that st albert that would have been stephen Kahn's territory i would have thought fort saskatchewan Vegerville was richard starkey's so if yeah. he yep. is if he is in yep. fact getting that kind of support of declared delegates, that is taking the temperature of the room and I think he has obviously organized a very yeah. strong I mean, political machine. Sarah's
2: right. If Stephen Kahn can't win the majority of delegates in his, you know... I, in there might separate, be a separate St. Albert in, one, in, but, but, but yeah, there's but, a
1: St. Albert one as well happening uh, but, the February but 11th. But it's still but it's his though, neck right. of the woods, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah, and you know, and Vegarville, that's Ed Stillmack country. I mean, Ed Stilmak and Jason Kenny are not the same kind of politician.
3: No, no, and I, I was just going to say, like... You know, Jason Kenny is clearly playing hardball here, right? He is... Uh, his team is, you know, bending the rules or pushing the limits of the rules, if not outright breaking them at this point. And the other uh, contenders in this race do not seem to be playing uh, with the same kind of intensity. And if they don't do something quickly, if they don't rise to his level in some way, this race is over before it begins. So it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be done. Yeah. I mean, Richard Starkey
2: is, you know, sending out cute tweets from his cute dog. That
0: is not the same thing as. Mm. as Big oh, I don't know, man. Send out cute tweets from your dog. That's got my vote. I know. Not that I'm a that. Very means cute. Literally. Nothing, but I love dogs.
1: Edmonton Mill Woods is coming up next week, Edmonton Castle Downs, and then some. Then we'll start to see the Calgary Riding. So I think we need to be watching those very, very closely and see if the other candidates adapt to what is obviously a very serious game.
2: You know, and it's interesting because the legacy red Tories, I mean, Castle Downs, that's Lukaszek's old riding. I mean, Lukaszek and Kenny are, you know, are the antithesis of one another. I mean, they have a grudge that goes back a long time. But, you know, if Kenny can sweep these delegate selection meetings in Edmonton and in the Edmonton area um, than, you know, in rural and Calgary. Uh, you know, this will be this will be sewn up long before we ever get to the actual vote, which is months and months and months from now. Yeah, it's not
0: too much. It is.
3: It does seem, though, that these other candidates are just not prepared for for Jason Kenney. They are just are, are no match to him at this point and are, are have not been um wise to what he's up to and have no reaction to it at this point so we'll see if something turns around quickly here but uh, at this point it's uh, it's looking like uh it's going to be over pretty quickly
0: but it's worth keeping in mind too that even if jason kenny does win uh it doesn't necessarily mean there will be a merger because the wild rose have to come to the party as well Absolutely. Right. I think
3: that is actually Kenny's tougher fight is taking on the wild rose and, and Brian Jean at this point.
2: But then the question becomes I mean, what is the Conservative Party? If it's not the party of Donna Kennedy Glans and Sandra Jansen and Thomas Lucasak and Heather Klimchuk and Ed Stelmack and Dave Hancock, I mean, where do the people that they represented park their votes? Because I think a lot of people who voted conservative and especially in Edmonton are not going to be comfortable. With the kind of conservatism that Jason Kenney uh, represents, and so I, uh, you know, Keith, this comes back to where Keith Keith was earlier. I mean, if there is no center center right party, where do all the thousands and thousands of Albertans who find themselves in that, you know, in that red Tory blue? Well, we don't ever say the word liberal around here, but you know, uh, <laughs> that's not <laughs> true. <laughs> we do. <laughs> this, is where, this is this is this is cue the poor David Swan, the Alberta Party. I know. All you Alberta Party listeners out there, all six of you, are going to get really super mad at me when I say this. But, you know, you – Greg Clark, notwithstanding, you are not getting traction. Uh, And and the liberals under David Swan are – you know, in their death spiral, and there's there's a there's a huge market <laughs> void in, in Alberta politics right now. And I don't know who fills it.
3: Well, those names you just mentioned, Dave Hancock, Thomas Lukaszek, Ed Stalmack, where are these people and their supporters? this race, the PCs, as Sandra said, it, it seems to be going towards the extremists, as she puts it. It's a it's a harsh way of putting it. But those those old PC guard, where are they in this race? They seem to be completely absent. Those voices we just aren't hearing. And so, if the, are they going to stand up and fight for for this the soul of their party for, I, for their legacy? I, I don't see it no. at this point.
2: No, I mean, and it may be that in the end, you know, after Rachel Notley's remarkable victory, people said, "Is that the end of the Conservative Party?" I think this is the end of the Conservative Party, at least the Conservative Party, the Progressive Conservative Party of Peter
0: Lougheed, which you know I think is done now. I think it's over. Well, hasn't Stephen Harper bought like a? Membership to the PC he party has. and he's going to exercise his right to vote. And wouldn't that be funny if he got elected as a delegate to go to the leadership thing in March? Would be interesting because he and Kenny, they're
3: bros, man. They they are. He's he's. It's been unusual to see a former prime minister insert himself into provincial politics mm. the way that Stephen Harper has. He here. must be so bored.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's move along to uh, childcare. This was an announcement early in the week. Uh, Rachel Notley does love a good announcement to do with kids because she loves kids every time she sees them she just wants to pick them up she actually walked into um the chamber the other morning holding brandy payne's baby and she just walked past us like everything was completely normal except the fact she was holding a tiny wee baby and i said uh premier where did you just get a baby she's like oh it's the first time he's in the chamber it's so exciting and then off she went. <laughs> you know i mean
2: she, she and barack obama are rare politicians who when they kiss a baby look like they like want to kiss a baby as opposed to you know some other politicians who shall remain mm. nameless mm. that when they pick up a baby the baby just screams so
0: i yeah. think that would be me, horrible
2: so yes yeah, so so yes, <laughs> Sorry, she, yes. She, she does she does love the photo op with the baby and a press announcement where she uh, gets to be with happy children makes her happy and who
0: wouldn't be happy mm. Kids are sticky. So the the announcement this week was that it's going to, the government. I feel like (laughs) I need to speak up for children because (laughs) I have three
1: (laughs) of them, but that's, uh, yeah. This announcement to me was very interesting. As somebody who has, in the course of my working, my adult life, spent a lot of money on childcare, uh, to hear that they are going to start this pilot program where they're going to invest $10 million in creating a 1,000 new affordable spaces that'll be, you know, where the, cap on the fees for the families will be $25 a day. Uh, I thought interesting. It's 18 spaces. It sounds like they're going to take applications from nonprofit organizations that would be interested in providing this. But I, so I thought interesting, but then I also thought, hmm, a drop in the bucket. Then I also thought, hmm, $10 million is a lot of money right now. And how do you roll this out further? And then I thought, hmm, and I started to do the math and I'm like, well, it's not exactly free childcare and it's not Quebec level subsidy of child care so I have all kinds of mixed emotions about this and about whether I like the idea or don't like the idea it's not the federal NDP ran on a platform of $15 a day child care plan in the last election so I'm kind of all over the place. I have not clearly hit on an editorial opinion about this because <laughs> I have not put an editorial about this. But it seems like it's another program in Alberta to offer subsidies. And there are already some other ones. We've all, So this is on top of... And they didn't say they were getting rid of the existing programs, no, right? No, so there not. is a program that last number I saw was families that had an income of $50,000 or lower household income qualified for some kind of provincial subsidy, no matter what kind of facility you're operating at. So there's that. And then there's also a top-up of wages that daycares and childcare facilities can receive, uh, depending on whether they're accredited or not accredited, uh, that helps with some of those fees. And that traces back to the last boom when they could not keep childcare workers because they couldn't pay the wages. Um, so there's that as well. And I don't know what the full amount of that is, but so there's this is like yet another thing thrown onto the mix. Uh, I'll let you know, Paula go. I don't know. <laughs>
2: it's it's so symbolic, and I and I use that in. in I use that in the critical sense. I mean, it's great to say, oh, we're going to have $25 a day child care, but it's like winning the lottery. Very, very few Albertans will be able to access this magic child care, and the c- competition for those spots is going to be ferocious. And I'm not sure in the end that making the very few people who get a spot happy is worth all of the people who are now going to be mad that they didn't get one of those spots. So they're saying this this is the pilot we committed to this. We obviously don't have money so we're going to do this little version of it uh, to see how it works. Nothing wrong with piloting something to see how it works. The political payback though, as Sarah says, you know, if you helped more people to manage their costs instead of creating this special category of special snowflakes who will get their super cheap childcare, it is I wrote on an unrelated subject a piece this week about a community, West Mountain Edmonton, where they're fighting against having a daycare in the community because people were worried about the noise the children would make. And we do not have a very good grasp in this society of how we provide Affordable, high quality early childhood care for working parents who need it. Uh, and I think there's still a, a lot of people who think basically that mummies should just stay home and then this wouldn't ever be the government's problem and it wouldn't ever be making noise in the neighborhood. That is not how the world works. I don't know that this $25 lottery is the answer to any of those questions. Well, could
3: that be a, a political strategy in some ways? Yes, there's the fiscal reality, but, you know, to offer this as a pilot, where you um, you know you get uh, a, a number of, of uh, people, uh, but a lot of people left out, and and it outstripping the demand almost as soon as it's launched, could that create a demand? Would Notley then have the yeah. the you know the the platform to say, well, this has been a success. We need to expand this. We need because she wants to make it a universal mm-hmm. twenty five dollar child care and we should know that like that is not
1: still not free child care that works out to about five hundred dollars a month but when you compare it to but when you have an infant where those costs are like at least a thousand dollars a month now typically I mean that cuts your cost in half so it's 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 you know still you still it's not free I just wanted to yeah no I
3: I just wonder if it's the first step in a larger plan though to bring this idea to Albertans uh, you know bring it some success potentially and then she has the, uh, you know uh, uh, something to say hey we need to expand this yeah
2: i think i think you're absolutely right you know cuz we have a we have a problem we it's not just that we don't have enough affordable spaces we don't have enough af- we don't have enough spaces period there are all kinds of families that i heard from after i wrote my daycare piece this week who said to me you know we have we have money we would you, that's not the issue the issue is that we cannot find a space that is convenient to where we live and where we work so you know we have a we have a bigger problem that even goes beyond affordability. Even people who have money to pay don't have a place to spend that money.
0: All right, with that, um, which was an exciting discussion. Look, Look at that. We talked about policy. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Look at us. We talked about <laughs> sticky babies. <laughs> They're not all
2: sticky Let's, all the time. Yeah, all babies are sticky. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, mine, is, mine is 19 now and has outgrown the sticky phase, and I can now come to work without spots on my clothes. It's excellent. <laughs>
0: so now to our regular segment. Good stuff from the gallery. Sarah, what do you have for us this Um,
1: week? I want to recommend, I think I've recommended this podcast before, but I'm going to throw it out there again. I want you to listen to American Public Media's Marketplace podcast because as much as it is easy to get caught up on all of the... uh, social side of things with the u.s election we need to understand what's happening in the markets and the economy and that is one of my go-to primers every day uh, to listen to so i recommend that i love that podcast it's it's yeah it's, it, it's awesome. be, it explains uh economic issues to me in a way that i understand kate what do you got for us uh,
3: i have a piece in the washington post uh by caitlin dewey Uh, And she got an interview with one of these people who creates fake news and puts it up on Facebook, does so deliberately, and he believes that he may have uh, actually put Donald Trump in the White House, that uh, some of the fake news that he posted... Uh, which he intended as satire against Trump, uh, was actually taken far too seriously. Um, He says over and over again that Trump supporters do not do any fact-checking and therefore just believed this fake news that he was putting up. So it's an interesting uh, take on how much of this... um, uh, fiction, I guess, that uh, went on during the, the U.S. election campaign actually contributed to the result.
2: Well, and this is in the wake of, of stories that have shown, you know, that if you look at the algorithms, people were reading more fake news stories and interacting more with fake news stories in the last days of the campaign than they were with real ones that some of these uh, these joke joke sites and, and guerrilla sites, I mean, sites that were not joke sites that were purposely uh, putting out fake news, were getting more readers in the Washington Post and the New York Times, which sort of made me want to despair for humanity and bang my head on the desk.
0: I do that often. So in Alberta this week, there was a release from the Child and Youth Advocate um, about uh, kids in care. I- I'm going to recommend an amazing piece uh, out of Australia. It's called Broken Homes on the Frontline of Australia's Child Protection Crisis. It's an investigative piece by uh, Linton Besser, and it's for Four Corners and ABC News Digital. It is... Uh, it's absolutely gut wrenching i'm i'm not going to lie it's an in depth look at residential care for foster kids in australia and the problems that that system is facing and the horrific situations that children are finding themselves in and the problems that they're going through it is it will make you very angry no doubt at all but it's it's incredible reading and it's well worth um, reading, especially in light of what was released this week by a child youth advocate here. Paula? Well, now
2: that you've all done things that are serious and earnest, I'm going to bring us home with a important piece of political analysis by our National Post colleague Tristan Hopper who wrote a piece about the infestation of Canadian beavers in Argentina and Chile (laughs) Um, uh, and the fact that years and years ago somebody thought hey wouldn't it be cool to raise beavers here and so they did and then the beavers escaped and they have no natural predators and so now the beavers are the blight of Tierra del Fuego and the uh, government of Argentina is paying a bounty they used to pay it by the tail but then people would just trap the easy beavers so now they don't want easy beavers they want to pay people to go into the backwoods and kill them all uh interest in time this piece to to coincide not just with that beaver hunt but with justin trudeau's uh arrival in argentina so sometimes we like to think the world needs more canada sometimes the world has more canada than it knows what to do with
0: and on that on that note Sarah, Paula, Keith and photographer Ian who is going to be putting a video of this hopefully on the EdmontonJournal.com along with the podcast. You can find this podcast. Thank you all for coming. I didn't finish my sentence. (laughs) No, it's (laughs) all right. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. (laughs) You can find this podcast along with uh, all of our others at EdmontonJournal.com. You can also subscribe via our SoundCloud, iTunes and TuneIn Radio. Hopefully you'll join us again next week here on the Press Gallery.